land tax, stamp duty, tenants. Sure, property is great, but there are easier ways to get your passive income, sometimes with franking credits. Through ETFs or exchange-traded funds, you can buy a basket of shares in many different companies in one trade. BetaShares offers Australia's broadest range of ETFs, including income-focused funds, which aim to provide yield-hungry investors with attractive income streams. Discover the BetaShares range of ETFs and how simple they can be to invest in by going to betashares.com.au. Read the relevant PDFs and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. This is a podcast by the Rask Group. It's for educational purposes only. So please do not make a financial, legal, investment or taxation decision based on solely what you hear in this show. Welcome to the Australian Property Podcast. We're on a mission to be Australia's most trusted property podcast. I'm Owen Rask, founder of the Rask Group. I'm Pete Wardgen, author and buyer's agent. I'm Amy Lenardi, and I am a buyer's agent. I'm Chris Bates, ex-financial planner and mortgage broker. Together, we'll take you through every step of your property journey. From first home buyer to decades of property investing. G'day, hello everybody, and thanks so much for joining us today. Welcome to the Australian Property Podcast's Two Cents segment, uh, where we'll take a plain English look at the big three property news stories of the week. I'm joined once again by the king of mortgage broking, Mr. Chris Bates. Hello, Chris. Hey, absolutely excited. I have to admit, this is probably my guilty pleasure of the week, chatting to you around these stories. Um, How have you been? What have you been up to? Well, it's better than your normal uh, guilty pleasure of watching uh, Merit at First Sight. So I'm glad to be of assistance, give you something a bit more productive to do with your time. Uh, So, yeah, I'm very well, thanks. Um, I've uh, been very busy uh, this week with the kids mainly, so lots of early starts. Um, How about yourself? Yeah, that's the golf swing they're working on, is it? uh, Yeah, so we've got uh, yeah two weeks of golf school here in Noosa. So um, every morning they get an hour out on the course and then of course they, they won't want to come home after that so we're pretty busy and um, uh, off to the AFL tomorrow night at the Gabba to watch uh, the Lions v the Magpies so another very late night for us. Um, how about yourself? How was the kids birthday party you told us about last week? Oh it went well it's um, we were planning to do it in the park so it was three-year-old so it was about 12 of my daughter's friends um, coming we decided to do it at the house and it all went fine actually you had a little entertainer and it was uh it was a good party a bit daunting thinking 12 kids are coming to your house but um yeah it all went well <laughs> you survived and uh, what have you been actually working on this week oh we've got a big rebrand happening it's been a couple of years in the process to be honest we're changing our name from wealthful um to blusk and a whole new website's going live and everything like that so yeah getting that sorted and um yeah, it's been a big week, obviously. Um, lots changing in the market, which we're going to talk about as well. And, um, you know, the sentiment shifting. What about yourself? What's what's happening in the work side? Yeah, a lot of people have been asking me mainly about refinancing, which is probably mm. more uh, your bailiwick than mine. But also, you know, what kind of opportunities are we going to get now that interest rates are finally on hold, which obviously is one of the, the big three property news stories of the week. Um, so actually, well, this week we will be talking about these three things. Firstly, the Reserve Bank's meeting decision for the month of April. Um, secondly, we're going to talk about whether the housing market 
has already bottomed in inverted commas or whether we've got a bit of a way to go in terms of the downturn. And then thirdly, we're going to talk a bit about the changes in working practices. Um, so the working from home or hybrid model where people are spending some days in the office and some days at home. And there's been a lot of talk about things like AI, artificial intelligence, and what that might mean for the, the workforce and the knowledge industry down the track. So but those are the three things um, we're going to cover off today. And I know you've got a camping trip coming up, Chris, so we better uh, cover those off uh, in case you get taken out by a snake or something next week. Um, so, look, let's jump straight into it, shall we? Um, look, a few yeah. people, you know, we get a lot of comments and people writing in about the show, and we'd love to hear your feedback. A lot of people, of course, this week have been talking about all of the headlines on the Reserve Bank's meeting decision interest rates finally on hold after 10 hikes in a row and um, so i yeah i guess what everyone's asking is is that the top of the cycle so uh, what did you think of uh, the decision this week chris look it's funny i think at 231 you get about 20 emails the whole linkedin's <laughs> everyone's telling you the interest you rates as well. have, have <laughs> gone up it's like thanks guys but what, do you, what does that really mean um i think that's what we're trying to talk about on here is, is what's the overall picture right what's what's the direction of interest rates longer term you know how does that affect sentiment how does it affect the market etc not just reporting on the news um i think you're right i think it was highly likely that they were going to pause um and so that was it you weren't that was what the expectation was so it didn't surprise us i mean and i think a lot of people are now sort of getting into the forecasting whether they're going to go up again in you know in when the next inflation figures come out in a few weeks um are they going to have to go up in may is it really the top in the interest rate cycle regardless though you'd like to think now that we're close to the end whether it's one or two more potentially or maybe there's no more um i think the market had already factored in more so the market was already thinking the rba is going to go up to over four percent i would say i think a lot of our buyers for the last 12 months have been saying you know, I want to buy this, but what happens if interest rates go to 6%? Um, and that's what they've been doing their numbers on. That's what they've been basing their person purchasing decisions on. Where at the moment, you know, the, the rates you're getting at the banks are only 5.25%. So we're well under what buyers thought last year in terms of their pricing. And so buyers now start saying, oh, look, I actually think I don't need to factor in a 6% interest rate. I need to factor in a 5.5 or I need to, need to factor in a 5 because there's talk of rate cuts. Um that is obviously going to change buyer demand in terms of the appetite towards um, taking action. Yeah, so if you don't follow this as closely as we do, the cash rate target that the Reserve Bank of Australia sets is currently at 3.6%. Um, so it's come up from basically zero a year ago. So it's a very rapid uh, cycle of tightening um, on hold this month. And I think basically if you look at the language they used in the statement, they said further tightening may well be needed but overall mm. the language is a lot softer so basically they're in a wait and see mode now the next inflation figures are released towards the end of the month 26th of april and that will really determine whether we get another interest rate hike or not uh, so they're sort of still remaining a little bit hawkish just to make sure that inflation is definitely going to fall i think if you look further ahead i mean financial markets are basically saying no more hikes yeah and if you look at bond yields which is australia's government bonds well they've definitely eased and if you look further out australia's three-year government bond well it's well below three percent so i guess um even though there may still be some tightening in the pipeline as people's fixed rate mortgages reset 
overall markets are thinking, well, we're pretty much close to the top. Now, have you seen um, a number of banks, I noticed, Chris, have actually been cutting their fixed rate mortgages on that basis. Have you seen some of that? Yeah, absolutely. Macquarie came out this morning, um, changed their fixed rates. Um, you know, some of them were out of market a little bit, so they've maybe come back into the, the pack a little bit. Maybe they were overpricing their fixed rates. They didn't really want them to take them on. But um, absolutely, there's a, a sentiment to reducing fixed rates, which is a good sign that, you know, bank finance and their confidence around longer-term um, access to money and credit at a rate is reducing. Um, I mean, what are we seeing overseas as well? We've seen inflation drop off even stronger than it has in Australia. Is that right, Pete? Say like the US and the UK? Well, that's right, Chris. So if you look um, globally, I think inflation in the US peaked around about the middle of 2022. Um, other countries, the same, uh, United Kingdom inflation, uh, is still sticking around a bit there. So that's probably not the best example. I think we're just a little bit behind a lot of other countries, mm. though, simply because our lockdowns went on for so long. We we were so successful in getting rid of COVID, we didn't really know how to reopen. Um, I think if you look at the monthly inflation indicators, well, they've been falling away. And th there's actually loads of early indications, things like spending trackers from ANZ, uh, manufacturing figures from the AIG group. I think there's a lot of things pointing to a big slowdown in retail spending, possibly even a retail recession. You've probably seen fuel prices aren't quite as high as they were. I think there is still a lot of inflation in uh, rents. Uh, so if people are looking to rent a place to live, but to be honest, hiking interest rates won't have any impact or positive impact on uh, rent. So look, we may we may well get one more rate hike. We don't know, but basically we're pretty close to the top, particularly with a lot of home builders now struggling and uh, quite a number of them going into receivership or insolvency. Yeah, I mean, I don't really, I don't really want to sort of stop and then start again. You know, it's all, the attitude. A lot of it is go hard and fast, um, and then stop. So you know, to then re-tighten again, I don't think that's really their plan. You know, they probably should have just kept on lifting and then, um, rather than you know stopping and starting. I don't think that's great for consumer confidence on the other side. So I guess it's a watch this space. But ideally, maybe we're we're getting to the top of the rate cycle, and what that also means is the amount of borrow money you can borrow might also be at its tightest. You know, every time the RBA increases rates, that reduces borrowing capacity. And as mortgage brokers, we've had to consistently review what people can borrow and it's consistently moving down. It's probably gone down about 35% on what you could have borrowed at, say, the start of 2022. So it's a huge difference. Um, but there's not going to be like this extra 10 or 20% you know, tightening to how much people can borrow, which was really weighing on the market. And so I think that's also good news for people to have that clarity to know what they can go out and spend because it's unlikely to reduce much further. Well, that's right. I think it's quite clear now from all of the figures that are coming out that the current policy setting is in restrictive territory. You can see it in things like new home sales have fallen away dramatically. It's starting to impact people's spending habits. Um, so I think uh, they're kind of in wait and see mode um, and who knows, later in the year, we might even be talking about interest rates falling and cuts. So I think uh, to summarise then, we're close to the top. We may be at the top, but we don't quite know. And it's a bit of a watch this space for yeah. the next few months, I think. Um, but we're starting to see some fixed mortgage rates come back down, which is good. And that's probably not a bad leading indicator for what's to come. Um, so, right, second story, which almost um, directly links into this, Chris, a uh, question that a lot of the media is asking, has the housing market cycle 
already bottomed. Um, so we've seen price gains reported for a couple of months, actually, by uh, PropTrack. Uh, now CoreLogic reported price increases in March, particularly in Sydney, where prices were up 1.5% or so uh, because there's not much for sale, essentially, and immigration's picking up. We've seen SQM Research are out. They're forecasting price gains for 2023, particularly in Sydney, where rents are rocketing, and also Perth. Um, so what do you reckon, Chris? Are we at the bottom, past the bottom? Was it last year? What do you think? Look, I put some posts up um, on LinkedIn late last year and also early this year, and this isn't me saying I predicted the bottom or anything like that. All I was seeing is commenting on is what we were seeing from buyers um, and their attitudes to sort of entering the market. And absolutely, you know, August, September, October, November last year, they were very nervous. They were unsure where to buy or what interest rates were going to do. And um, there was, but that was actually the best buying. You know, it was obvious that there was still a little bit of stock on the market in terms of what people could buy. And vendors were very nervous, just like buyers, and they were willing to take, you know, um, really low-ball offers because if they didn't get out now, it could be this big 25% crash. And I think stock really dried up at late at the end of 2022. And in February, March this year, not much has come on. You know, we can see listing numbers all over the country are really tight. And, yeah, there's still a lot of properties on the market that are the average ones, the poor streets, the dark places, the the busy roads, the privacy problems, um, weird layouts, smaller blocks, et cetera. And um, so there's, there's properties on the market, but they're the things that people don't really want unless they're desperate, and the market's not desperate right now. But trying to find the really good properties on the good streets, unfortunately, you're already seeing bidder numbers are going up at the auctions. Um, I saw some research by Ray White this week. Um, the clearance rates have gone up. Um, and, you know, that's already in you know, as a whole, as a market, you're starting to see some price gains in the Sydney market in particular. But the market isn't just one market. You know, there's lots of sub-markets within sub-markets. And, you know, I think where we'll, we'll talk about this is some markets will probably be recovering and some markets probably still have a bit of pain ahead um, because a lot of this fixed rate hasn't flown through there. So, yeah, what's your sort of talk, uh, your thoughts, Pete, on where's potentially more through the cycle and where's potentially got pain to come? Yeah, I think um, you're right. The bottom of the the market, um, whether it's a stock market or most financial markets or housing, the bottom is usually a process rather than a specific event. Yeah. It's not like it's you know falling one day, rising the next. I think, well, the numbers do bear out exactly what you're saying, actually. Even though stock levels overall are relatively low and now we've got the Easter break and then the cooler autumn months where people don't typically list as much, uh, there is actually some older stock piling up there, which kind of uh, directly underscores what you were just saying, that the B-grade and C-grade stock is struggling a bit. And, um, you know, as interest rates flow through, uh, for some of those people who are on fixed-rate mortgages, uh, well, there could be, yeah, there's some pain to come there. And I think for leveraged borrowers, um, I think uh, particularly portfolio investors, some of those resetting fixed rates are going to cause some pain i think in terms of where well i mean to, to be honest some of the regional markets were just so overheated during 2022 that they're going to struggle simply because of that i mean if um if you think about uh, well for example where i live in the noosa shire well the market hasn't bottomed here yet um there's people listing properties with hopes of uh, last year's prices they're just not getting them uh, because people's borrowing capacities have gone down Maybe some people have headed back to the city, um, getting called back to the office. Uh, so there's, there's things pulling in both directions. I think 
um, yeah, it's really that family-friendly stock in uh, capital city suburbia that's doing well, lots of competition, but there's plenty of properties that are really still struggling at the moment. Yeah, I think a lot of the um, markets didn't boom in 2021. A lot of, um, you know, the high-density markets, the apartment markets in, you know, Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, you know, they didn't go up anywhere near, if at all, in some markets, for example, the Pen, uh, the Parramatta, you know, unit market actually went down, even though interest rates went to 2%. So, you know, a lot of markets never actually boomed and, and they've actually still got the problems with demand and supply. And um, But then some markets are very, very tight. It's hard to buy any good properties. And then there's this demographic um, confidence building by young families that really want to get into uh, long-term security. And the rental market's almost forcing them there as well because they go, I can't rent anything. Um, and I do think that they now know their borrowing capacity. They're comfortable with where interest rates are. You know, given even though they're at 5%, they're not expecting, they weren't expecting to be at 2% forever. Um, so they're, they're going, well, even if at 5%, I can afford it with my cash flow. I'm willing to enter the market. I've got a big deposit because I'm selling something else. Or um, there has been a little bit of incentive in New South Wales, for example, where the state government has that up to 1.5 million you can purchase without stamp duty. So that's all going to change in July. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see if that the momentum um, continues there for first home buyers. But um Ultimately, I would say that the best buying opportunity was actually last year. And I think that's when the bottom is, is when you potentially can get good assets at, at good prices without that much competition. At the moment, it's hard to find good assets um, and you're going to pay a bit of a better price because you're going to find there's competition there, whether it goes to auction or whether you've got multiple bidders. Um, and so it's not to say that it's all it, the opportunity is gone. It's very still early in the cycle. But um, I would say that, yeah, if you had your choice, you would have picked by last year. Yeah, that makes sense. I think actually, yeah, just um, on that rent point, I mean, I've uh, seen numerous examples in Sydney, which I uh, follow more closely than Melbourne, but I think the same is probably true down there. Um, situations where properties have come to the end of their lease or people don't want to renew because the rents have gone up and then they're being relisted re with rents up 50%, um, not across the board. Um, but I think, as you pointed out, a lot of those inner city or unit markets didn't actually boom during COVID because everybody was moving out to the regions, that race for space. And now suddenly, uh, with the students coming back and immigration picking up, there's just very, very little for rent in Sydney and Melbourne. And that demand is just surging as the population growth explodes. So you're right, there's markets within markets. Um, I've seen plenty of cases where unit prices haven't budged in seven or eight years in Sydney and Melbourne. So uh, it's a mixed picture. Uh, but overall, I think the outlook is clearly improving. Uh, you, you can just see from the tenor of the media headlines from October, November last year, where people were predicting uh, sort of catastrophic declines in prices that haven't really eventuated. Um, so a bit mixed, but overall a bit brighter than the end of last year, I guess. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, I'll, you know, Chris Joy, for example, very early in 2021 said, you know, 2022 is not going to be as rosy as what everyone thinks. You know, the RBA is going to potentially start increasing and you're going to see maybe 25% falls in property prices. And he based that if the RBA went up by 1%. The RBA actually went up by 3.5% now. Um, borrowing capacities fell by 35%, but prices haven't fallen anywhere near like 25% and potentially maybe even only 10%, you know, some areas a bit more than that. So it hasn't been as catastrophic as what people thought would be. And we had a huge test to the market. Um, what happened in 2022 is where as soon as there, there was that first rate increase, 
that really was when you started to see aggregate data showing the prices are falling. And with potentially the rates going plateau or talk of rates, um, if that talk of rates going down starts to really become mainstream and inflation's really getting, um, you know, look like to be under control, well, then that's obviously going to be really supporting the market because people won't want to be missing out. There's a lot of pent-up demand in property markets where people haven't got the right long-term housing solution or they finally want to go and buy an investment property. Um, and, you know, they'll, they'll all be waiting for that point where they think, you know, now's the time. I don't want to miss out because I've missed out in the past. A lot of people have missed out in previous booms where they wish they should have, could have done something. Um, the final point on the, the which will lead into our third story is this, you know, the regions, you know, we saw a lot of people go there in 2020, 2021, even 2022. Um, but that sort of remote work, work from home um, story is really playing out probably different than most people expected. Um, and, you know, that'll go into our story three. And that, that's, that's having an effect on the regional markets, you know, the first tier and the second tier. So maybe give us the story three, Pete. Yeah, so third story of the week, um, which is actually a bit of an ongoing thing rather than uh, purely topical, but the change in working practices. So um, I think there was a general uh, move towards working from home or that hybrid model anyway. But then when the pandemic happened, suddenly it just massively accelerated all those trends. Loads of people who were toying with the idea of moving coastally or to the regions, uh, we just saw that rush to the regions uh, and uh, that that really accelerated. I, I guess the question now is, you know, are employers going to start requiring people back in the office maybe two days a week, three days a week? Most people I speak to are actually in the office or in their place of work for at least a couple of days. So there's not that many employers who are just saying to people, look, you just go and work remotely and uh, we don't need to see you again. And I think, you know, some positions anyway do need to be in the city, the kind of leadership or CEO roles. Uh, people who are looking for promotions or bonuses are probably going to benefit from being seen in their workplace. So I think it's, it hasn't fully reversed yet by any means, but certainly, I mean, I can just see from the number of empty properties around where I live at Noosa Springs, clearly some people have gone back to Sydney and Melbourne and it's, well, you can see that in the, the rental market pressures, but um are you getting a feel overall, Chris, for where that sort of working from home or hybrid model might end up? Yeah, I've been tracking this because I'm fascinated by it. I mean, we run a completely remote business, but, you know, mortgage broking can do it, you know, um, and we've got, you know, a team that are great at self-management and, you know, motivating themselves and we come together as team events. But talking to our clients, I always ask what's going on and my general consensus um, and we'd love for our listeners to share stories here where maybe they thought they were going to work from home for five days and maybe they've been confirmed that they can do that. They can swap to another company and have the confidence to do that um, without um, having to take a big pay cut. Or And those stories are still sort of coming together because work-based policies are still sort of getting cemented, right? Like what days do you have to be in the office? What days can you work from home? When's our team events? And I think that's all playing out and the confidence to... In a hot prop, uh, you know, unemployment market, you may have the desire to say, well, if you're not going to give me what you want, I'll go somewhere else. But I think there's been a bit of a job listings, you know, vacancies um, are starting to sort of come down. You know, um, I think people are not as confident that they can sort of just go into the market. We've seen a few layoffs. Um, 
And so I think people are like, well, actually, no, I really want to protect my job right now. I'm not just going to go have this big, great resignation, which there was a lot of talk about that maybe six months ago that people would just leave if you didn't offer flexibility. So I think this is a watch this space, but it has a huge impact on the property market. You know, the, how often you have to get to the city. Um, and uh, even if it's two days a week, um, you know, how far can you realistically commute for um, from sustainably? You know, you might be able to do it for a month, do two or three days for, you know, three hours away or two hours away. But could you do that for 12 months, you know, weekly? I'd probably say not, right, um, unless you stayed in the city. And so this whole regions is driven by city incomes moving to these locations and propping up property prices. Um, there are people who, for example, self-employed or, you know, different industries that can, you know, work from home and remote and because, you know, uh, consumer uh, perceptions on what's required has changed. Um, I think that's changed for good, to be honest, I think. But, you know, it's, it is a real watch this space and it's a story that will probably play out for many years. Um, and obviously you've got the the fear around everything that ChatGPT is sort of creating. Um, what's your thoughts on, on that? Yeah, you make a really good point there. I think you're right, some of these peri-urban cities or locations that are within a two-hour striking distance of the capital cities, the, the Bendigo's, Ballarat, Geelong, I think up here to Woomba, Gold Coast, Sunshine Coast, um, New South Wales has its own equivalents, so of which you're one uh, aficionado, of course, so, but also places like Wollongong. I mean, well, they, they are within striking distance of the capital cities for people who need to be in the office maybe one or two days a week. So I think some of those markets... Um, I mean, and Infrastructure Australia has long said that those markets will see a lot of investment for that very reason. I think it's maybe a bit trickier if you're three or four hours away uh, from your employer and you can't really do those as a, a regular commute. Um, and I think you made an excellent point there. At the moment, we've got the lowest unemployment rate in 50 years. So all of the balance of power has been tilted in favour of the employee. And in particular, in things like uh, if you're an IT developer or in software, a lot of people are just saying, well, look, I'm going to go and work from the Gold Coast and uh, take it or leave it because all of the balance of power with the skill shortages and closed borders uh, was in favour of the employees. But that at some point that will tilt back. I mean, it's probably on the way already as we get immigration starting again. Unemployment will start to go back towards 4 then 5%. And when the balance of power is a bit more... Uh, level or a bit more normalised, then yeah, maybe people will be yeah, sort of demanded back into the office a bit more. Um, yeah, well, look, the AI thing, I mean, this is potentially going to be huge. I mean, we've seen so many headlines about chat GPT. I think it's, I mean, it's potentially going to be a revolution, just like the internet and the iPhone. I think it could be amazing for specialists in the knowledge industry. And I think overall, the feeling is there'll be some amazing productivity gains uh, for the economy uh, but of course the flip side to that you know it's obviously could replace many jobs uh, it could leave lower skilled workers with nothing to do and uh, and then what so you know will ai help us to create new jobs as, as new technology always did previously or will it create some problems as well who knows what do you think well, I think there are a lot of the jobs that we don't even exist, right? So we're going to create new industries and we're going to create new jobs and we're forcing people up the knowledge curve, I guess. Um, so I've got, I'm a, naturally probably more of an opportunist and, you know, that sort of positive mindset um, that I think that the economies will mould, I guess, as this technology sort of um, plays its way through. I mean, we, we see it as a huge benefit for us, right? Um, 
we've already used it. We're producing documents for the business. Um, and I think what the, what it can't do, and this is definitely, is the empathy side, right? So you've got this knowledge, but then how to critically apply that knowledge to that person's situation, you know, when there's lots of different things that aren't just, it's the soft facts, you know, it's the, you know, and, and there's, there's obviously data and there's decision-making, there's people and there's a lot of things that the technology won't come up with the right advice. You know, sometimes the, the numbers aren't the right advice. It's some personal reason, um, especially in our space. But I imagine in lots of industries, there's lots more going on than just the, the facts and the figures, which I think the technologies may be good at and potentially better than us at. Um, so, yeah, I think in, in the property market, I mean, uh, if you look at the different professions, I think even in the real estate profession, you know, a lot of it will be digitalized, you know, the valuations, the whole process, et cetera. But there's a lot of conversations like, you know, is this really the right decision to sell or something? I don't know whether a computer can do that. You know, I don't think a computer can also do whether it's the right time to buy or what to buy. Um, so I'd be very nervous in applying AI into property investment as well because property investment, for example, is is not all science. It is a lot of the art. It's the the feel of the property, the streetscape, the personal attachment, you know, that's what people fall in love with and the connection. That The best properties have something that is beyond just the facts and figures. There's something special around it um, that gives that little, but that maybe the, the data can't do that. So, um, yeah, what's your sort of thoughts in, in different industries in the property market? Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree on the predictions point. I mean, really good case in point. Um, we've never seen a period like the past two or three years in modern history. So if you'd have taken a model 18 months ago, whacked in 8% inflation and interest rates, fastest hiking cycle um, in modern history, well, that would have probably predicted a drop in housing prices of 30% or something like that. But it's a, you know, it's really a one-off spike in inflation with no precedent. And it was caused by lockdowns and border closures. So I think, uh, and I totally agree as well, there's no real substitute for following trends you know the, the the housing market i know people say buy property unemotionally but that is how people buy property so there was an old adage a uh, decade ago find out where people are moving and buy the land before they get there i mean that's never really changed mm. and as you said just there's no real substitute for those on the ground insights um and just seeing you know what is happening what are the property types that are becoming popular um, so look, I think overall, I mean, there'll be more scams as well. So there'll be some downsides. Um, I mean, it's much, much harder to detect a fake website these days, for example. And as AI can produce coding, you know, that um, can sort of facilitate that, there'll be more scams. So I think a bit like social media, I think we'll probably find that AI proves to be both brilliant and awful. So just like with the internet and then social media and the iPhone, it'll really be up to you. To position yourself to, to be somebody who benefits rather than loses out yeah and i'm not going to admit that i'm a complete expert on this i used to track it a lot you know when it was really rife in the media you know maybe three or four years ago you know 40 percent of jobs aren't going to exist it was pretty common you'd see those sort of made uh big headlines right um and in a lot of the jobs that i did financial advisor mortgage broker accountants were very high on this list but what it does i think it allows people to then focus more on the clients um, and those big conversations and the real value add rather than the doing side of a job. And that's the valuable stuff. So if anything, um, you know, they, they create time to help more people and, and on the valuable stuff, not the non-valuable stuff. So I think it is a, it's a big story that will consist. I think ultimately, though, as individuals, though, we need to be conscious of this. And maybe Australia is a little bit 
uh, better protected than some countries around the world, you know, where, you know, we've, we've got knowledge jobs and service jobs that maybe the, you know, technology can't do. Um, but maybe a bit, I'm being a bit naive. So I think as, a, as a, everyone in this country and everyone in the world really should be aware of this and, and be doing how do I stay ahead of the curve rather than fall into, you know, some of the, the jobs that may go. Yes, and don't forget, we've got the lowest unemployment rates in half a century at the moment. And I mean, if I've seen one of these articles about nobody's going to have jobs in the future, I must have seen a thousand. So, you know, being optimistic, we've always created new industries and new jobs um, historically. So there's no reason why this might not be the same. However, we shouldn't underestimate the potential scale of the disruption because AI is moving on in leaps and bounds. Mm. And um, that's not going to stop. You can't really hold back progress. Um, so, I guess, uh, as you said, um, something you want to try and stay ahead of and position yourself accordingly. So let's summarise those top three stories of the week then, Chris. So firstly, interest rates, well, we think we might be at the top. Certainly financial markets are pricing that we're at the top of the cycle now, which is good news for people who are borrowers, property buyers, property owners. But we may yet see another hike. So yeah. it's a watch this space, really. Um, let's wait and see. Uh, secondly, on has the housing market cycle bottomed? And I use sort of inverted commas there. I think, yeah, look, some markets, the best buying conditions were last year. However, there is still some pain. And I think actually a lot of markets will see prices still easing and falling over 2023, uh, partly because they got overcooked last year. And also because a lot of people have still got to feel the pain of those fixed rate yeah. mortgages flipping across the much higher mortgage rates. And uh, thirdly, the change in working practices. Oh, as far as we can see, you know, some employers are getting people back in the office more often, uh, but in a lot of cases, it's only two or three days a week. It's not, uh, things aren't going back to how they were. That's quite clear. Um, and but maybe um, in time, sort of the balance of power will shift back towards the employer again, and that might just uh, pull mm. things back up. But there's certainly... Uh, there's some problems in the office space, particularly for the um, lower grade B and C grade office stock. It's very hard to rent that stuff out now. Yeah, absolutely. I think you've summarized all three points really well there, Pete. Um, the third one, I think it's really a case study thing I'm trying to get on the ground. So if you've got stories in your situation where, you know, you were told five days, but now you're back in the office five days or, you know, or vice versa, you've been given really great flexibility and you're confident on your industry. I think these are really good takeaways because it's it's going to be a bit of a bell curve on some people who are forced to work, you know, a lot in the city or maybe they want to in their 20s and then some people who've got great flexibility and that's going to, that's completely different. The demand curve is completely different this year than it was two years ago or three years ago prior to COVID. Um, please send all your questions through as well, um, you know, whether it's on today or whether it's for our Q&A episode. Um, I also say your, your blog, Pete, obviously I've been watching that every day you send it out. I really like the the data you've got coming through around new home sales and, you know, the stock shortage or the, the dwelling shortage that we're going to have um, in the years to come because a lot of builders are going bust. So I think we'll probably try to cover that story next week. But uh, I think that's a big story for next week. I think uh, we've seen, um, even since we prepared the notes for today's show, there's been several high-profile um, uh, home builders uh, going to the wall. Some are closing their sales divisions. I think this is going to create some major challenges uh, for the housing supply going forward. In a similar vein, you can contact Chris uh, Wealthful uh, and in the future it will be Blusk, as he mentioned, and we uh, love people to send in their comments and questions. Um, so thank you very much for listening. Uh, but, yeah, great if you just uh, 
want to interact with us as well. That's fantastic. Chris, uh, while we're on the subject, I know you run another podcast called The Elephant in the Room with Veronica. I saw this week you had your full and forecaster report, which I was disappointed to see featured me as, uh, well, not quite a full, but I didn't get everything right last year. So um, any highlights from this year's report? Yeah, we've done these reports the last five years. So um, the other podcast called The Elephant in the Room, and we've done over 250 episodes on that. And um, yeah, it's a bit of a tongue-in-cheek. On April uh, Fool's Day every year, we release a report on this is what everyone said would happen and this is what happened. And um, yeah, it's always good reading, have a bit of a laugh because everyone usually gets it pretty wrong um, and it shows how bad we are at forecasting. Well, it's been a tough uh, two or three years. Uh, anyone who predicted the last three years correctly deserves a gold medal because uh, <laughs> we've seen so many things that have never happened before. Um, so yeah. Yeah, and uh, only now are things really starting to normalise. Uh, so thanks again for tuning in and we look forward to catching you on the next episode of Two Cents on the Australian Property Podcast. Cheers. Thanks, Pete. Thanks for tuning in to the Australian Property Podcast. If you love the show, why not subscribe or leave us a review on Apple or Spotify? And if you want to work with me, Amy, Pete or Chris, you'll find links in your podcast player to get in contact with us. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Australian Property Podcast. We're huge advocates of getting the right advice at the right time from the right people. That's why it's important to understand that this podcast episode contained general financial information only. It is not designed to be specific or personalized to your financial, tax or legal situation. With property, the check sizes are pretty big, so it's important you get advice from a licensed and trusted professional before acting on the information you hear in RAS podcasts. Thanks again for listening. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.